Well, you know, on Sunday morning we've been seeing Peter and, and John and James and all the guys that's there with Jesus, and he's died on the cross, and he's buried, he's risen again. And, 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 and we see Peter, and, you know, one of the things we think about when we see Peter is Peter is either up or down. He's either doing great or he's doing bad. I mean, there's times when Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? And Peter ends up going, you know, the, these things. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, stands out and says, you're the Son of God, you're the Christ. That was a great answer. It wasn't just a few seconds later that Jesus is talking about dying, and Peter says, we're not going to let you die. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of the things of men rather than things of God. So if you look at Peter, you say, he's up and he's down. Sometimes in our lives we feel the same way. We say, I'm doing really good and then I'm doing really bad. I mean, you know, it just seems like one minute, you know, he's saying, I'm trusting God. I believe the Bible. I'm growing. I'm, I'm being used by God. And the next thing, you know, we say, how can I think that? How can I do that? Why would I say that? Why would I do that? Well, we're looking, and, and that's, that's us. And when we think about it, we see Abram. He's up and down. He, last time he was down, he failed to trust God. He went to Egypt. He lied about Sarah. And he had to leave embarrassed. Tonight, we're going to see that he's up. He's doing good. He trusts God in his relationship. And he trusts God in his relationship with Lot. And he trusts God as far as the land is concerned and the promises that God made for him. We find that God is always faithful to do what he says. God's not up or down. God's always the same. He's always faithful. Well, uh, let's begin. God had called Abram to leave what we call the Ur of the Chaldees and to go to the land of Canaan. And he made a covenant with him. If you remember the covenant, uh, there were three aspects to the covenant. There was a land of seed and blessing. This goes back to Genesis chapter 12. And in the land, uh, later on, now, let me, let me just say this. In the Abrahamic covenant that he made with Abraham, there were three parts to it, land, seed, and blessing. Later on, God is going to come back and make more covenants with Abraham, but they all go back to the original covenant. Since the original covenant involved the land, the seed, the blessing, blessing, we'll find that later God will make a covenant with him dealing with the land which we call the Palestinian covenant. Later on he's going to make another covenant with him dealing with the seed which is called the Davidic covenant. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 17. And then we're going to see another covenant dealing with the blessings which is often called the new covenant Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. So technically when we see the covenant that God made with Abraham the other covenants that God makes with the nation of Israel all go over to that, go back to that covenant and the whole rest of the Bible really fits off the covenant that God means with Abraham because it affects us as well because in the Abrahamic covenant he said in, the, in you Abraham all the nations of the world will be blessed that's us so it's really powerful and so the land the seed the blessing that kind of thing what is God what, what uh, God promises he always does now last time Abraham's failure didn't trust God uh, famine in the land went to Egypt here's the thing there's no place that says that Abram checked with God before he went to Egypt there was famine in the land. God told him to go to the land. He was supposed to, I, I think he's supposed to stay in the land. Now, if he could, could have still gone to Egypt and done what was right, but he went to Egypt and did what was wrong. And he lied about it. Pharaoh took. He told, he told him when he got there because he said, Sarah, you're so, you're so beautiful that when we get there, they'll say, this man's got a beautiful wife. Let's kill the man take his wife. That's what they were. He said, but if they think I'm, I'm your brother, they'll say, let's be real nice to him because that's his sister. Now, Abraham lied, but... But Sarah really was his half-sister. So we talked last week about those little white lies. I mean, he, he said, she's my sister, which was sort of true, but not true, because she was really his wife. And Pharaoh went and took her, and God then brought some plagues on the household of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh realized what happened, and he called in Abram and said, what do you think you're doing? Why did you lie to me? Why did you do this? And so they escorted him out. 
as we look at tonight's chapter, there are two things in this passage. First of all, the first 13 verses, the conflict with Lot. And we know who Lot is. Lot's his nephew. Uh, it's his son of his brother who has already died. And so Lot, he's taken Lot with him. And he's basically raising Lot as if he was his own son. Now, this is not the son in which is going to be the seed or any of that, but he's with him. But there's conflict there, which we read earlier. And then we see, it goes back, the last part of the chapter is going to be God reminding him of the promise. And it really goes back to the land promise as well. Now, let's think about where we are as we begin. Abram has just failed. What has happened? We're going to see a great truth, and that is this, that God is a God of second chances. In fact, let me say it this way. God's a God of third chances and fourth and fifth and sixth and a hundred chances. He, he never stops using us. Let me just say this. If you, if you think you have failed and that God no longer would use you because of your failures, because of how you've blown it, I want you to understand that as long as you are alive on this earth, God is going to use you for his glory. And he will use you if you'll allow him to. That's the key. Well, what are we to do when we fail? Well, the Bible says... Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. As they say, trust and obey. Confess and forsake. Well, let's see what happens. Look at Genesis 13. Look at verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that had belonged to him and Lot with him. Now, if we, if we could show the, let's show the map sort of them coming up from Egypt. If you could, there it is. Good. And I have this little pointer thing. Isn't this great? Okay. They were somewhere over in here. We don't know where, but we know that they weren't down in here. So they came over to Egypt and they were where Pharaoh was. And we're not sure whether Pharaoh was down in this way or up in here. It's just according. And so they leave and they go back to the Negev. The, ne- the word Negev means the south. That's all it means. And so when you say it says the Negev, it's the southern part. So they've come back into the Negev and to the southern part. And it says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and a lot with him. So they all come out of there. And uh, he's come out of Egypt. Notice verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. Now you could say, well, but, but he hadn't been doing very good and God's still making him rich. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes... Just because people have material possessions doesn't necessarily mean they're doing right. And sometimes just because people are poor doesn't mean they're not doing right. You, just, you can't always tell that. Abram is a wealthy man. God has already made a promise to him. What was his promise? I will what? I will bless you exceedingly. He's already said that. And so he's, uh, he's wealthy. And one of the things that doesn't tell us in this passage is because it says Abraham was very rich in gold, livestock, and, and silver and gold and all that stuff. Well, we're going to find that he brings from here some slaves with him. And we're going to find one of those slaves' name is Hagar, which she is an Egyptian slave. She becomes a maid of Sarai. Remember, Sarah's not called Sarah yet. She's called Sarai, which means nagger. And she'll, her name will be changed to Sarah, which means princess. So at this time, uh, best we can tell, this may be the time that he brings some slaves out with him, and one of them is named Hagar, who is going to be the handmaiden of his wife. Now, God is already blessing him. And he's got a great name already, and a great nation, and the seed, and the riches. Now, we, got, we know that, that riches can be a cursing and a blessing. Now, most of us would say, we'll, like, we'll take a shot at it. You know, go ahead and let us be rich. We'll take a shot at it and see what can happen. But it can be. Now, notice what happens. He went, to, uh, he went on his, verse 3, he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his ten had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now, you, uh, do we have another one that's Israel? Yeah, now you can't see it very well, but on this map it's not actually on it. But here's Jerusalem. Way down here is the Negev. They come up past Jerusalem and come up somewhere right in there where where Bethel and Ai is. 
And, and Bethel means house of God. And, uh, and it's probably because he worshipped God there is why it was called house of God. But notice it says, He went on his journey from the Negev to as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. This is where he, when he first came there. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, this is the place that he'd worship God. It says this, He proceeded from there to the mountain to the east of Bethel, pitched his tent between Bethel and on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. That's chapter 12, verse 8. That's when he came in there the first time. So now he's coming back from Egypt, and he goes back to the place. Sometimes it's really good to go back to where we started. Sometimes we believe in Jesus Christ, and we're growing as Christians, and we're studying the Bible, and we're doing the right things, and then we get away from all that. And we look at our life and we go, what happened? And we realize we're not doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And the best thing to do is go back to where we started. Get back over. Sometimes people say, you know, I used to memorize verses. I don't ever memorize them anymore. Why not? Go back. Start memorizing. I used to meet with some guys. I don't meet with anybody anymore. Go back and meet with some people. I used to come and study the Bible. Well, come and study the Bible. Start back over. Sometimes we need to go back to where we started. Get back going back to the things that helped us. And so it says that uh, he went on his journey for us to Bethel, pitched the tent there. And then it says in verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And that was back in Genesis 12. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now that's an act of worship. Now one of the things that we see is this, that he called upon the name of the Lord. And sometimes people get confused, especially nowadays when people will go to Romans chapter 10 and it'll say, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they all think, a lot of people teach, that you have to call upon the name, you have to confess the Lord, you have to make some kind of public profession to be saved. But I want you to understand something. To call upon the name of the Lord, if you go to every place that's in the Scripture, go ahead and next slide, I think it's always, it's always either an act of worship. To call upon the name of the Lord is either an act of worship or a physical deliverance. It's deliver from an enemy. There is no place in the Scripture that calling upon the name of the Lord is for salvation. No place. So when people go to Romans 10, 9, and 10 and try to make that a salvation passage by calling upon the name of the Lord, that's not what it's talking about. And it's a little bit more complicated, and it takes a little while to go through Romans 10, beginning about verse 6, 7, and going through about 12, 13. But uh, a lot of people get confused. So I just want you to understand that if you'll go to any place in the Scripture where it says, Call upon the name of the Lord, it'll, almost, it'll always be either worship or deliverance. And the truth is, most of the time, it's calling upon the name of the Lord to be delivered from an enemy, to be delivered from a situation in which they say, I will call upon the name of the Lord and He will save me from my enemies. That's what it's about. It's the idea, so He is worshiping God. Realize that He has come back to God after failure. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, if I said, how many of you in this room have failed? We'd all raise our hand. If I said, how many of you failed today? We'd probably all raise our hand. The bottom line is, what do we do when we fail? We go back. We, we go back to worship. We go back to God. We confess our sins. In fact, the Bible talks about that uh, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. He is faithful to do that. And that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, one of the Psalms says, to, uh, one of the Proverbs says, uh, confess and forsake. See, it's not just the idea of saying, well, I did wrong, so I'll tell God I did wrong. The idea there is not say, I'll do wrong, I, I did wrong, and then go ahead and do wrong again. The idea is to confess and forsake. That's the key. That doesn't mean we'll always do that. And I know sometimes in our lives there are things that we do wrong 
and we do the same thing over and over. Is that true? Is that true for a lot of you? Do you do the same thing wrong over and over? And every time you do it, you say, I can't believe I did that again. I don't know why I did that again. Of course, I wanted to do it again. That's why I did it. But then I don't know why I did that. I mean, right? Have you all face, face that? Exactly. Do you ever think that sometimes that when you confess your sin and the same sin for the 900th time that God says, would you quit coming to me? That's it. That's it. I am tired of putting up with you. You have done the same thing over and over. And every time you come to me, you say, I'm, I wish I had never done it. I, I don't want to ever do it again, Lord. I'm going on with my life. And I always say, okay. And then you come now for the 900th time. Is that what you think God says? No. He's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us and to cleanse us. He takes us right back every time. God is deals with us with un. Conditional love. Just remember that. So he comes back to the place of the altar where he had made there formerly, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's what we do. When we have sin in our lives, when we fail, which happens all the time, we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. God loves us with an everlasting love. Now, something's going to happen. We saw that when he went down to Egypt, he lied. And got himself into trouble, and he failed, and now he's got back with God, and he's worshiping God, and now another problem's going to come. What's he going to do? What's he going to do when the other problem comes? And that's a question for us. What do we do when the trials and problems come into our lives? How are we going to handle them? What are we going to deal with here? Well, we have to go to the Word of God. That's the key. Well, look what happens. Verse 5. Now, Lot, who was with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. See, it's not just Abram. Abraham is the rich man. He's got a whole household. In fact, we're going to see when you get to chapter 14 that he's got at least 318 soldiers that go fight with him. I mean, you think, do you, I mean, do you picture Abram with Abram and Sarah and Lot and four or five other people and, and a couple of little goats and, you know, maybe one camel? And a, listen, this guy, it's an entourage. I mean, when they're moving, they're moving. And people are saying, what's all the dust? I mean, there's this huge group of people coming. He's got at least probably he's going to 318 soldiers. Think about them with their families and their kids and their possessions, not counting the rest of his family and just the just and all the slaves and all the people that he has. There's no telling how many people are there. So when you see him moving around, when you see him going to a place, it's not just Abram and about five people. It's a huge group. That's why it says that Abram was rich. In livestock, and in silver, and in gold. He's a rich guy. He's big. I mean, he's just... Well, Lot's got stuff too. Because, you know, everything's going good for Lot as well. Because Lot's connected with Abram. Now, verse 6, we're going to have a problem. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. What's happened? Well, I mean, they've got so many cows, I mean, so many sheep, so many, all, this, all of a sudden, what, some guys said, this, we, got our, we got our animals here. No, 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 we got our animals. Wait a minute, you guys are too close. Wait, there's not enough for us to eat over here. You've got to move your people. No, I'm not moving my people. Well, they got arguments, and notice what he says. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And besides that, the Canaanite and the Perizzite was dwelling in the land as well. It's not just them. There's other people groups there. And so they're all looking around going, my gosh, we don't have enough room here. we got too much stuff. You ever looked at your garage? Don't you think the same thing? i got too much stuff. How can I get rid of this stuff? Sometimes we have conflict with the people we're closest to. This is Abram. And his nephew, the nephew that when when the, when Lot's daddy died, which was Abram's brother, I'm sure Abram said, "You just come with me. You're just gonna be with me. I'll take care of you." And he did. And he's taking care of him all this time. And I guarantee you, when you look at next week, 
Chapter 14, he's going to take care of him again. He's going to always take care of him. Because Abram's that man. That's what he's like. Well, look what happens. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. Now notice how Abram does it. Who's the oldest one here? Abram. And who's the leader? Who's the one who got the covenant from God? Who's the one that talks to God? Abram. Who's the one that worships God? Who's the one that's in charge of this whole thing? And you know what he could say to Lot? Hey, Lot, sit down. He could. Because he's the man. But what does he say to Lot? We are what? He doesn't even say we're family. He says we're brothers. He puts him with him. Abram was an amazing man. He said, let, let, let's don't have the strife between you and me nor between your herdsmen and my herdsmen and your herdsmen and all. We're brothers. We're in this thing together. Abram is showing wisdom and maturity. He wants harmony. And we should do the same. We should do the same as best we can in our families. We should do the same best we can in, the, in our church families. We should be, try to be in harmony and love one another and get along with each other. Sometimes you say, well, I got the right. But listen, sometimes we give up our rights. Sometimes we give up our rights. Philippians says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Look out for the needs of others rather than the needs of yourself. Sometimes that's what we're supposed to do. Well, Abram's going to come up with an idea. He says this, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, he's he's amazing because he could say to Lot, Okay, here's what I'm going to do, Lot. This is mine. You move over there. He could do that. I mean, he's the man. He doesn't even do that. He says, here's what I want to do. You pick out wherever you want to go. And wherever you want to go, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. I'm going to do whatever you said. I mean, he is really being generous to the young guy, to the younger guy. And you know what Lot probably should have done? What should he have done? No, 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 no. No, you the man. You the man. You, you just tell me what you want me to do. But Lot doesn't do that. That's why Lot's always in trouble and Abram's always having to take care of him. Because Lot mostly thinks about himself. And Abram thinks about others. So watch what happens. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. So what did Lot do? I mean, let me tell you this. Do you think that Abram's about to give up the land that God promised him? No, because you know what he says? It's my land anyway. <laughs> Everything is good. God just told me all this land is mine and to my descendants forever. Now, how many descendants does he have? Not a single one. And how old is he? At least what? At least 75. He may be getting right on up close to 80 by now. We never know. He gives the younger man the choice. So what happened? Verse 10, So Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw the valley of the Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. This is for the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. is like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. I think if you could put that map up of Israel again. Down in this area, down in here, is the well-watered plains of the Jordan. And even a little bit further down, we can't really get it so much on that map. See, they've been, in the, they've been up here, and, and, and then they look, and he looks down, and he goes, Wow, look how great all that is down there. And it was. It was beautiful. In fact, he says, it was really, really good, because he says it was well-watered everywhere. It was like the Garden of the Lord. I mean, think about it. It's almost like Garden of Eden. You know? the land of, it was like land of Egypt as you go to Zor. And this is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, because Sodom and Gomorrah is down in this little section right in there. 
in Sodom and Gomorrah were those cities, and it was a great place to live as far as how the land looked and how there was water. And so Lot says, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to go down there. Okay? I'm going to go down there. And so... Notice, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Two paths. Lot looked at the material, saw the riches of the country. He didn't look at the character of the people. Because he's moving to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and you say, well, nobody knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Sodom and Gomorrah had a reputation even then that they were wicked people. Lot based his decision on sight, and Abraham based it on faith. How are we to live? We're to walk not by sight, but by what? By faith, Second Corinthians 5, 7. So it goes, So Lot chose himself the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Two paths. One pulled by the world, look good. One resting in God, the promise. Let me tell you, if you look to the world, you're going to always get fooled. It never produces. It always looks good. It's the same thing the flesh always pulls on us and says that's going to look good, but it never as good as it looks. It always costs you more. It's never what it looks like. The world is a big glitter that never produces, never will. That's why the things of God, you have to stay with the things of God. You have to do what the Scripture says, even though it's not as attractive as the world. But it's always what's right. So one pulled by the world, look good one, resting in God. It's so easy to be pulled by the world. We've got the, 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 the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have the battle within, Galatians 5.17, the flesh lust against spirit, spirit against the flesh, contrary one to another. All of us have this natural bent to sin. We're in a fallen world system controlled by the devil, and that's what's happened. Now look what he goes on to say, just, just so we understand. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. How would you like your city to be called that? What were they doing? Well, I don't think we ought to talk about it right this second, but there's no telling what they were doing. We're going to see later on, as we continue through the book of Genesis, we're going to get more and more of what these people were doing there. And it's pretty bad. And uh, one day, God will deal with these people. Notice it said, this is before God destroyed them, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it looks like this, that you're Abram, you left Ur of the Chaldees, you brought your family, you got there, God promised you the whole land everywhere, and then you got a nephew that's pretty much selfish, and he took the best land. And if you're Abram, you could say, well, that didn't work out so good, did it? But the truth is, he's trusting God, because God said, all of this land is yours and your descendants. So what does God do? And by the way, uh, I just want you to know that sometimes God will, will encourage you. He will encourage you through the Word. He'll encourage you through people. When you do what is right, God will encourage you. Because what's fixing to happen is Abram did what was right and God's going to come encourage him. We're going to see in chapter 14... He has to go to war because his nephew gets caught up in this battle with five kings against four and, and they whip him and they take them all off and so Abram gets his 318 men and they go attack and defeat these armies and run them back and then they come down there and then if you're really thinking out loud, you could say, wait a minute, I got 318 men, that's five nations that are going to come back down here and come looking for me. And you could say, I'm pretty scared. 
But right after that, God comes to him and says, I will protect you. Don't have to worry. You do what's right. God always encourages. Well, watch what happens. God's going to do it. Did he give it all away? No. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. He said, look all over. Look all over. Look at all the directions. Why? Well, because for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Does he have any descendants? No, but he says the promise. See, I want you to remember that Lot chose for himself, but God chose for Abraham. God's the one who said, Abraham, this is your land. I'm giving it to you. Abraham said, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm taking it. This will be your land until the Palestinians someday in the future would like to take it. Is that what he says? Or until after a, a world war that it's divided up for you. Or until after World War II that some superpowers will all get together and they'll say, guess what, Israel, you get this land and these people. Is that the way it's going to be? He said, this is your land for what? Forever. It's their land. No matter how it's divided up, it's eventually their land. The land, the seed, and the blessing. Now watch the next statement. Verse 16, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Now he says, look, I'm gonna, you're going to have so many children. How many children does he have? None. He's at least 75, maybe 80 years old. He has no children, but he's being told that he'll have so many offspring they can't be counted. Now remember, the name Abram means what? Means big daddy, high father. We're going to see later on God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And it's all true. Here's the man, 70, over 75 years old, no children, but he's being told you're going to have so many offsprings they can't even be counted. And, you know, humanly speaking, you're saying, you know, we better hurry up on this deal. If we're going to, if it's going to work, we better hurry up on this deal. So look what happens. God says, Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Now, he says, basically, go through the land. Go through the land. It was a way of claiming the land, because he basically was saying, where every foot you step, that's your land. Go through the land. Go take it. And so where does he go? So Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I don't know if we, if Hebron's on the map. I can't remember on this little map. Yeah, there it is right there. He comes back down there. They'd been up a little further now. They'd been down there. They'd been up to about Ai, where and there. But we don't know if they'd been moving around, and they may have been, because if, if uh, Lot was able to look down in this part right here and see all of this. So what, is, what does Abram do? He goes, whoops. Yeah, he would have been looking down in this area. So now they come back to Hebron right there. And Hebron is going to be a famous city. It's going to be one of the seven. It's going to be one of the six cities of refuge. There's a man by the name there named Mamre, and he's got these big trees by the oaks of Mamre. You're going to, in fact, notice it says they dwelt by the oaks of Mamre. Now, oaks of Mamre, Mamre's a man. He's a guy, and he's got some. He's got some offspring. We're going to meet them in the next chapter. And when Abram loses some family, 
He doesn't have any land that actually belongs to him. Do you realize that God says, this is all your land. And if you said to Abraham, is all this your land? He said, this is my land. And they'd say, how much of this you own? He said, I don't own any of it. And when Sarah dies, you know what he's got to do? He's got to go buy a little place of land to bury his wife. Because he he doesn't own any of it, but it all belongs to him. And when they made the deal to sell it to him, they ripped him off. They sold that land for so much more than it would be normally sold for. But they said, you don't have any land and you've got to have a place to bury your family. But Abram says, that's okay. That's really my land to begin with. It's going to be my children's land and it's going to be their children's land. It always will be. What did he do? Abram moved his tent, came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. Hebron. And then what did he do? And he built an altar to the Lord. What's he doing? He's worshiping God. See, he's saying, God, thank you. You always do what's right. You know, sometimes when we get in trouble, we call upon the name of the Lord, right? You realize that you can call upon the name of the Lord when you're in trouble, but you can also call upon the name of the Lord when everything's going good. So we tend sometimes when things are real good to to leave him out a little bit. But the best thing to do is just realize that every blessing and everything that you have that's good is coming from God. And so respond in worship. God keeps his promises. We have to trust him in all the events and the circumstances of life, the trials, because he keeps his promises. He's in control. He'll take care of us. Now, what have we seen? We've seen they returned from Egypt with a lost testimony. But he came and he began once again. He started all over again. He began to worship God again, just like he was supposed to. And then there was the conflict with Lot, and he trusted God. Lot chose the place towards Sodom. And we're going to see that choosing a bad place, even if it was good as far as materially, the people were bad, going to live with those people is not going to help Lot a bit. In fact, when you study uh, the books of Peter and Jude and those, and it talks about Lot, It says Lot was a righteous man. That means he's a believer. But his entire soul was vexed. Meaning he was bothered all the time because all the people that he lived around. He lived around bad people. It's no fun living around bad people. Eventually they'll get your whole place burned up. Because that's what happened. Abram worshiped God. Let's talk about applications real quickly. First of all, let's worship God. That's the key. Worship is responding to God and do you and I worship and there is the worship. We talked about this. We can pray and sing and give and study the word. All those are acts of worship. Sometimes people think the music's the worship and the teaching something else. Every aspect when we come together and respond to God is an act of worship. As we pray, as we sing, as we give, as we study the word and make application, all of those are acts of worship. So let's worship. Let's respond to God. Even this evening, we've had great songs we have applications to make in fact as you say i'm going to apply this in my life that's worshiping god because you responded to him you know it's not based on feelings there may be feelings and sometimes sometimes i have a lot of feelings sometimes i don't have very many feelings and i'm I'm kind of an emotional guy i have a lot of feelings a lot but there are times that if you said you know uh, based on feelings you'd say i don't i don't have that much feelings You can't go on feelings. You respond to God for who He is and what He's doing as you sing, as you pray, as you give, as you study, all of those things. Second, 
application is let's trust God in the events and trials of life. We've watched Abram two times. One time he failed, one time he trusted. It's so easy to try to take things in our own hands, try to figure out things. You ask Lot, Lot, where do you want to go? I'm looking at the good thing, man. I'm taking the good thing. What about the people down there? We know about Sodom. They're pretty wicked. Uh, I can live with that because I like the land. Yeah, he lived with it all right. Sometimes we try to take things in our own hands but realize the trials and the problems are there to cause us to trust God. We have to trust Him, and we have the option, either trust ourselves or trust God. We need to do that. And listen to this. When we trust in ourselves, it's always failure. It always is. But when we trust in God, He'll always take care of us. It's the way it always is. Rest in God and in the circumstances of life. The third thing is just deal with sin. Deal with our sin. Listen, when we fail uh, and we fail to trust God, we fail to do what's right, uh, you know, God is the God of many chances. God is the God of starting over. God is the God who, say, who just says, come back, come, come to me. And so as Abram moved back and went back to the place he began, it may be in our lives that we need to start back over. Need to go back and say, you know, I hadn't been reading my Bible, I hadn't been studying, I haven't been uh, memorizing anything, I hadn't been going to this, I, you know, this is the first time I've come to this. Or, I mean, it may be you say, I need to get back going again. And we deal with our sin, First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, whenever we fail, confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to uh, uh, take care of us and to cleanse us. Forsake it, trust and obey is really a great way to put it. But there's no other way trust and obey. As a pattern of Abraham's life, it was worship. May we worship God as we respond to Him for who He is. We're thankful we can trust Him in the circumstances of life. Let's pray, and then if you have questions or comments, we'll go over them. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord. As we think about the book of Genesis and we think about Abram, Lord, we just want to worship you. We realize that as Abram would go back and he would start over in a sense and he worshiped and he called upon the name of the Lord and he built an altar. Lord, we want to do the same thing. In every aspect, when we come together with fellow believers or even by ourselves, we want to respond to you for who you are and what you've done. And we, as we pray and sing and give and study and talk to you and all of those different things, may we worship you. Lord, thank you that we can trust you in the trials and events of life. Uh, sometimes things are just so hard and we think, and, and yet we just rest in you and trust in you. And, 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 and Lord, may we want to we do the things that are right. But Lord, we know that when we sin, uh, we, can, we can come to you anytime. You're a God who says, just keep on coming. We confess our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, you'll never stop using us as long as you have us on this earth. So, Lord, we just ask you to take us right where we are. We confess our sins. We want our lives to count for you. Lord, we want to start over sometimes and get going again and living for you, for your honor and your glory. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything about the passage tonight or just anything? Any questions at all? Yeah, Hazel. Okay, you say it looked like Lot had possibly gone into rebellion because he's going different than what Abraham had raised him. Is that what you're saying? Well, we know this. For some reason, Lot is not really showing the respect to Abram that he should have regardless of the situation simply because Abram was an older man. Abram was his protector. What Lot should have done was to show respect and say, no, 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 no. Wherever You just tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. But Lot didn't do that. Lot actually said, okay. I will, I will pick what I want. And he, he made a pretty unwise choice. 
because sometimes the things look good, like the world. It looks so good down there, but but the reputation of the people was already bad. So you're right. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Lot. Of course, he lost his dad. He may have been angry that he didn't have his real dad, and he's living with Abram, and he may have been... He may have been um, Angry with Abram for lying down there and saying, you know, you got us all in trouble down there. Maybe you're not as great as I thought you were. Sometimes we disappoint each other, and when we disappoint each other, sometimes people tend to, you know, we mess up. Sometimes people tend to scratch us off their list. Mm, I don't like them anymore. They messed up. I don't trust them. I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore. You know, give us a break, my gosh, right? Give us all a break. How many of us need a break? We all do, my gosh. So... If if I mess up with you, give me a break. I may not give you one, but I... But no, I will. I will. We'll try to. Okay, thanks, Hazel. What else? Any other questions, comments, input? Okie dokie. All right. <laughs> Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time together. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.